This is episode number 478 with Jody Klein, Midlife Dating Adventures. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you want some support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book for you It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And here it is, if you're watching on video, it is filled with 30 tips and stories and exercises designed to help you step more fully into your values so that you have a better life. And when you have a better life, you have a better love. So you can find it on Amazon. And this week's tip from the book is step number eight, which is be more vulnerable. Vulnerability is hard. It makes us scared. We feel like it's a weakness to to tell the person we're dating how we're feeling and we don't have the language for it, but it actually is the glue that makes us closer. It brings us more intimately close with people when we are vulnerable because vulnerability really is a strength. It takes courage to speak your truth, to speak up when your feelings are hurt. And so my challenge to you this week is to look at where you might be hiding your vulnerability, where you might be trying to look too perfect or you're not asking for help. Those are some of the ways that we are invulnerable. And so look at one of those and just make, take one step towards vulnerability. And before I bring Jody on, I just want to invite you, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, Your Last First Date, to join us there. We are about 3,500 women strong, and I mean strong, because we are a group that supports women. There are many Facebook groups for singles that are not supportive. They are just, they kind of support you in your victim state. We support you to grow, and we have monitors that keep the page safe, and I go live there every single week, and you get first access to all of my podcasts and my courses and my programs. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Jodi Klein. She is the author of First Date Stories, Women's Romantic and Ridiculous Midlife Adventures. Here's a copy of it. It was published in September of 2021. She's the host of the podcast First Date Stories, which is a fabulous podcast, and she has a blog of the same name. She created the First Date Stories platform to help women who are navigating dating in midlife, just like me, and to share advice and stay on course to find enduring love. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. I... I'm so delighted and really honored to be here. I've been a listener to your podcast, of your podcast, for a very long time. So thank you for inviting me to join you. Uh, It's such an honor to have you and to know that you've been a longtime listener, because I used to think I was talking to a black hole. So it's good to know there are people who are actually listening. (laughs) I was listening. (laughs) Not a black hole. (laughs) Right. Well, I, I loved, loved your book. And I have to say, and I've told you this, I get a lot of books to read because I get a lot of authors on my show. And a lot of them are not written as well as your book. This book was not only beautifully written, but it's organized well, the stories are riveting, and you have you have lessons to learn from every single date, which is something I truly believe in. 
I think that dating is a journey. It's not just about the destination, which I think if people would believe that more, we would have a lot more success in dating because people wouldn't give up and they wouldn't be disappointed all the time. But um, let's start with why you wrote this book. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for those compliments and, and for the feedback about the book. I am really thrilled that you have enjoyed it. And um, I wrote the book for two reasons. I wrote the book because first off, nobody ever had, <laughs> nobody has written a collection of women's first date stories. Moreover, not women, uh, women's stories in midlife. And we have so many great stories out there in the world and we need stories now in our lives more than ever. So that is one reason I wrote it to help entertain women. But my second reason really was a deeper motivation. And it was, I wanted to write this book to help women in life, midlife feel like they're part of a midlife posse and to encourage them to keep their hearts open to love. Too often when we are in the dating scene longer, it becomes very frustrating. We start to feel like we're on a solo journey. We get um, frustrations that cause us to develop other emotions. And we don't have as many people in our lives at that point in time who are in the same place as we are. And as women, we connect through our stories. We understand one another through the sharing of our stories. We learn about each other, we learn about ourselves, we derive empathy, we get validation for our life experiences. But when you don't have those stories, you, as I said, experience those more feelings of isolation. And I thought that by creating a book that elevated women's stories and to center it around first dates, because if you do not go on a first date, you do not go on a second, a, 12th and you do not find lasting love, I would hopefully be able to encourage women to keep showing up for first dates and to do so feeling like there's other women out there who are where they are and have been where they've been. Those are a lot of good reasons. And it's, it's really, um, it's so important to have community, whether it's through sharing a, a story and feeling like, oh, that relates to me. I can understand that. I've gone through this experience or, you know, like my Facebook group, which is this amazing community of women who thought they were the only ones who felt the way they felt. And I'm sure many of your readers had the same experience, right? I mean, what, what kind of feedback have you heard from the people who are reading? I have heard really gratifying and positive feedback that yes, Women are reading this and they're coming to me and they're writing reviews and they're giving feedback that says, uh, I am now gonna be more hopeful when I go out on dates. I am now gonna do it differently. I'm now gonna do it with a more open mind and with a more positive attitude. We put so much pressure on ourselves so often as we date, especially as we're there in the dating world longer and we're wondering where is my person? Why isn't this happen? It, you know, it's the next. It's got to be the next person. It's got to be the next person, and all of that. And that's rough to have all that weight to carry all that weight. And so women are telling me they're letting some of that go and just going to show up for the moment and be there to experience the date 
as they're hopefully their best selves. Yeah, which is hard to do, right? So most of us come sending out a representative of, of who we are. It's not really us. And then we wonder why it's so hard to connect to people, but we're really trying to be perfect. We're trying to be thin enough, pretty enough. Uh, I mean, I used to come with my contact lenses in and my hair blown out. It's like you had to show up in this state of perfection. And what people don't realize is there's another human on the other side of you. It's not there. Everybody's going through this. We're all going through nerves and, you know, I hope they, they pick me and like me and and um, right, that not good. So you're <laughs> wagging your finger. <laughs> I am wagging my finger because we're at the point that you're in in midlife. We should hopefully evolve our thinking to, I'm not on a date to, to be liked by the other person. I am on a date to meet another person and to find out if we are the right, right for one another as friends, as business connections, as whatever, and maybe as long-term partners. But it's not about being there to please them. It's being there because we are um, there as a person fully present as ourselves and um, not there to do any sort of like performance art, as you said, sort of creating this image that isn't really you because that doesn't go the distance because one day, you know, the contacts come out and the glasses come off, come on, excuse me, or, you know, and you meet the real person. So you, uh, and, and then, you know, if you've not been true to your, who you are, when you show up the first time, that other person's going to figure it out and you may not really be a congruent couple and you've wasted time and finding the right person for you when you could be focused on that. True. I had a friend who just reminded me of her. She had a very, very toxic marriage. And when she started dating, she really hid who she was to the point where she would never sleep at a man's house or have him sleep over because she didn't want to see him. She didn't want him to see her without makeup or with her without her contacts. And it was just like, you're you're not having the full experience because you're so afraid of being seen for who you are with, you know, not perfect. And she ended up going through therapy and, and a lot of work on herself. And she married a lovely, lovely man. Um, it good. really nothing like any of the people she had been with, which is always a good ending. Um, but let's, let's talk about you, you know, the midlife dater, cause you know, you brought you, we were sort of going there now and um, you came up with a term that's called that seasoned dater, which is a lovely term. And I, I would love to hear why you came up with that phrase and, and um, why you felt it was important to come up with a new way to describe us midlife daters. Yeah. Well, I should share that I was in the dating scene for 26 years after college. And so I know what it's like to date longer than you expect. And I know what it's like to have that trailer in your head as a young woman. And then when the movie doesn't play out as the trailer, <laughs> all that you, you go through and all that you experience. And I also know what it's like to have people um, wonder why is she not coupled? What's going on? There must be something wrong with her. We have been raised, uh, Gen Xers and baby boomers have been raised in an age that said that we were supposed to be married by a certain 
time, you know, and if you're not married by early thirties, mid thirties, you know, that is just not right. And that expectation comes out of an era where there were arranged marriages and, and, you know, marriage was a financial and economic uh, deal. You, you married so that families could survive and get cattle. And it's not that way any longer. <laughs> so, you know, but society still has that thinking, which is wrong. And um, we don't need to have validation by being with somebody else. Having someone by our side does not validate us as who we are. And we have to validate ourselves. So society has those perceptions. I wanted to try to turn it on its head. There used to be a term that thankfully isn't used as much called spinster. And I know it's such a cringe worthy term. Thankfully, it's not used much anymore. But I really want to celebrate the people who have stayed in the dating game longer because they haven't found the right person for themselves yet. And they are persevering and they are resilient because they do believe in love. And I wanted to come up with a term that, that conveyed dignity. And I wanted to come up with a term that conveyed expertise. And seasoned dater, I thought, really captured all that. And I have run it by a lot of women who are seasoned daters. And Honestly, I, we talk about it and I sometimes see them stand a little taller because it does say, hey, I'm on this journey and I own this journey and I am doing it in a dignified way. Yeah, I, it, it is a lovely term and spinster is horrible. Um, yes. Old maid was another lovely term <laughs> that we Not. have gotten rid of, right? <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's, it's, there is a lot of shame in those terms and like, there's something wrong with you. And I agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with never having been married in your forties or fifties, um, being married and divorced. I mean, I have clients who come to me and they have so much shame around not being part of a couple again, because most of their friends from when they were married are still coupled. And so they, they don't want to hang out. They don't know where they fit in. And one of the first things I take women through is to like, look at where you feel shame and, you know, take it out of the closet because shame can't live in the light and just talk about this stuff because it's only shame if we, if we believe it is, you know? And so if we believe it's seasoned data. We have experience. We are amazing people. It's so much healthier. And midlife is a fabulous time. It's a time of reckoning for so many. It's like, oh, I don't really want to hang out with that person anymore. Or I don't want to give up what's important to me anymore. And we know ourselves. We know ourselves better. We like ourselves more. We don't obsess over a pimple on our face anymore. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. And hopefully we can express ourselves better, right? Yeah. And take more risks and have more confidence mm. as well. Midlife is a great time of life and we should be kind to ourselves. We've been through a lot and we've earned a lot of perspective and a lot of it has been hard earned perspective, right? Yeah. And so we should see things differently and um, just kind of roll with things more. Absolutely.
So in the intro of your book, you talk about dating deterrence. And I think that's an important thing for us to talk about. What are those dating deterrents? Certainly. So there, as you said, there's a lot of great things about dating in midlife. And, and you've hit on aspects of being in midlife that are so fabulous. There are challenges that come up when you are in midlife and in the dating scene, because life is just more complicated as you age, right? So I, I did uh, identify six dating deterrents. Uh, they're not universal, but they are certainly very widely applied. And the first one is supply and demand. So it's just simple economics. When you're in your 20s, there are more people who are single and there, it's easier to find people to date. It's just sheer economics. When you get older, the, the pool shrinks. However, new people are regularly coming into the, the dating pool as long-term uh, committed relationships come to a close. And so it does get refreshed. And one of the positives there is they often come in smarter about being in a relationship, right? They've, they've gone through a relationship and uh, they, they understand um, how to do it better or they know what they need to fix about themselves. And hopefully they do that. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So the second dating deterrent is life's complications. As I said, if we, as we get older, we may have parents to take care of. We may have children to take care of. We have mortgages to pay. We have ugh, the complications that the pandemic has just thrust upon us. There's just more stuff in our lives that sucks us, uh, sucks our time away from out being out there and being social. Uh, the third dating deterrent is just societal pressures. And, and I kind of alluded to that already, just that, you know, why aren't you coupled? Why aren't you married and all of that? And, and so people are just um, find dating that to be a deterrent to continue on in dating. Uh, the fourth is age. We live in an age of society. It's, a, it's unfortunate society celebrates immaturity more than maturity. Um, I wish that society really celebrated maturity instead of youth as much. Um, and so you may be out there in the dating world and you're looking at profiles and you see that someone who you think who is your same age range is looking for someone who's like 15 or 20 years younger. And that can be very frustrating, don't you think, in encountering I do. And I also know that for every person who's looking for somebody 15 years younger, there's somebody who actually wants to date somebody their age because they have more in common. So it's, it's something that really, people come to me all the time. Oh, nobody's going to want to date me. The men my age want to date men, women much younger. There are no men in my city. There's just like a whole bunch of beliefs that are along the same lines. Yes. Um, and hopefully that's changing. Hopefully that's evolving such that uh, maturity is more celebrated by society. Uh, the, the fifth is the fear of getting hurt again. And if you're going to, you talked about vulnerability at the start of, of this episode, you need to make yourself vulnerable to become part of a relationship, any relationship of meaning actually, but especially a loving relationship. So 
that requires taking risks and that requires potentially getting hurt. Um, and it's just the journey. And, but it's tough. It is hard to stay, go out there again and again and make yourself vulnerable so that um, you ultimately find your person, but it is worth it. Um, I say from personal experience, because I did that for 26 years. I was in meaningful relationships um, throughout that time, but I hadn't found my person and uh, until I met my husband um, when I was 47. So that's a lot of, of beginnings and endings and hellos and goodbyes. And then the sixth dating deterrent is just communal support. It speaks to having that group of people in your life who understand your journey and will listen to you, will share with you what they're going through, and together you will be connected as you move on in the dating world. Yeah, I, I, I have so many clients who don't have that. And yeah. partially it's because of their mindset. It's they believe that their married friends don't really want to hear what's going on. Some, some of their married friends have a really bad um, view of online dating, like people who really aren't in the know have a lot of fears and they'll project that onto the people, you know, their friends and it's not helpful, but, you know, I encourage these women to tell their friends that they would like their support and that, you know, can I please explain to you what I'm doing? I would like your support. Can you give that to me? Because just keeping it all to yourself and not sharing any part of your journey is a shame, you know, and it, it keeps you from being vulnerable. It keeps you from really being fully yourself with your friends because you have to keep a big part of your life private and it keeps shame in the picture. You know, it's like, I have all this stuff going on, but I'm afraid to tell you because you might judge me. A hundred percent. I know these women as well. And I, before I started um, the podcast and before I started the blog and, and such, I, I surveyed women to understand what they were living. And I talked to too many of these women that you just described. And one comes to mind, she is so professionally successful. She has a beautiful family. She is just lovely. And she was so uh, against trying to date again, because she said, well, someone's going to see me on a, an app and I will be embarrassed. And what will they think of me because I'm on an app? And I'm like, they're going to think that, wow, you're awesome. And I think <laughs> <laughs> you're out there and I'd like to meet you. And she wouldn't talk to her friends about dating and dating world because she just thought they'd think less of her. And it's a mindset that is counterproductive and it's a mindset that is, is just not accurate. When I started dating after my divorce, I had friends who were living vicariously through me. They wanted to hear every crazy story, every fun thing that happened. And I always like to say it's either a great date or it's a great story. <laughs> you captured <laughs> exactly. all the stories. <laughs> right. So, and that's why I got a lot of them in the book. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's really true. And I think that, um, you know, we have, we can laugh about it. We don't have to feel shame about it. And it's, it's, it's an adventure. You know, I, I recently posted something in my Facebook group. What if you change the word date to experience? How would you feel? 
And it's like, oh, that might open up like a whole other perspective. I'm having an experience. I'm not just going out to find the right person. And if I don't find him, then it's a failure, right? Exactly. It was well-received. This was was. well-received, this suggestion. Yeah, because we have this mindset that, and I had it as a kid, for sure. Like when I was dating before I got married, if it wasn't going to end in you know, boyfriend, it was a failure and it's not true. And I think if I had some coaching or some therapy (laughs) before I got married, I would have been in a very different relationship, but it's, um, we don't know what we don't know. And so it's not to beat ourselves up for mistakes we've made, um, but to just keep going and keep dating. Exactly. And we're modeling behavior that we saw also as when we were younger, our grandparents potentially getting married young, our, our parents as well. So you, you oh, know yeah. what you grow up around. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I would love to have you talk about one of my favorite stories, speaking of dating stories. Uh, It's, I think, chapter eight, The Dame in Shining Armor, and it's on page 113 in the book. It's one of my favorite stories for a number of reasons, but um, I think when Jody reads it, you'll be able to quickly tell why it's such a fun story. I'll set it up for everybody. Yeah, great. So um, thank you. This is one. Of, this is a terrific story. Um, I, and we'll talk about why afterwards, obviously. So this is a story where um, it features a woman named Julie. And Julie used to work with a man named Steve. Uh, there was never any romantic anything between them. There was an opportunity once that kind of came and went, nothing happened. He left the company that she was working at. And she hears from him and he a while after and he asks her out to dinner and she decides okay i'm gonna go i this okay i maybe i'm going to see a future with this man and as she's driving to the restaurant which is a pf chang's she's talking to her girlfriend samantha as women often do talking to the girlfriend as you're on your way to the date and so they're chatting it up and then she gets to pf chang's and he has not arrived yet and she's seated and he uh, doesn't come. And she starts to get hungry. She orders a drink. The waitress keeps coming by. She starts to order food. She is starting to kind of wilt where she's sitting because she is, he is not there. She finally calls him and he tells her he's not coming. She is mortified and horrified. And so... She does what she should have done. She calls her girlfriend. She calls Samantha and Samantha says, wait right there. I will be there. So we're going to pick up 
Um, Samantha has just arrived and she sat down after making a very big entrance because she, because she wants anybody around Julie to know that Julie was actually waiting for her girlfriend, not for somebody else to show up because this mountain of food, you know, is really for a second person and for Julie. Okay. So the waitress, uh, we'll start with what the waitress says. You're the one she's been waiting for. The waitress asked Samantha. Julie heard surprise and skepticism in the server's voice. Why, yes, I am. I got tied up at work. Things were crazy today. The waitress hesitated a moment. Okay, then. She nodded slightly before returning to her station. Samantha served food onto both of their plates. You need to eat this before it gets cold, she said. Now, tell me everything that happened. Julie started eating in earnest as she ran through the recap. She recounted her brief conversation with Steve word for word. I want to call him again, Julie said after finishing her story. Samantha stopped eating and abruptly put down her fork. <laughs> no, you don't. Don't call him. That's an awful idea. He's a horrible person for doing this to you. You can't call him. You're probably right, Julie replied with a sigh. They talked for a while about how hurt and depressed Steve's treatment of Julie made her feel. Enough of this for now, Julie said. She placed her napkin on the table. I need to use the restroom. I'll be back. She stood up, grabbed her purse, and headed towards the main dining room. While continuing to eat, Samantha noticed that Julie had left her phone behind. She picked it up, went to the recent call list, and tapped on the phone number below hers. Hello, a man's voice said. I am Samantha, Julie's friend. I'm calling to tell you that you're an asshole. <laughs> you didn't show up and you left her sitting alone in a restaurant. Steve cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, I, I guess I am, but I did stop by. I walked into the restaurant and looked for Julie. When I didn't see her, I took off. Did you check the patio? Uh, no, I didn't. Did you even call? No, <laughs> you're such a dick. Don't ever call Julie again. Steve paused. Okay, I won't. Samantha hung up the phone and placed it back where Julie had left it. She resumed eating her meal. After Julie returned from the restroom, Samantha remarked nonchalantly, I called Steve and told him he was an asshole. What? <laughs> you did what? Julie let out a few laughs. As they trailed off, she reverted to a more solemn state. What did he say? He said that he came by the restaurant, looked in, didn't see you, and left. Julie shook her head. You've got to be kidding. Where did he look? Why didn't he see me? I have no idea, and I'm not sure I believe him, Samantha said. But at this point, does it really matter? No, it doesn't, Julie said. Her, he her head drooped again. It's just that I always took Steve to be a good Catholic man. I know. And there are good Catholic men out there. He's just not one of them. But hey, his loss is my gain, Samantha said, tapping the palm of her hand against her chest. Thanks to him, I'm getting to have some quality girlfriend time. Yes, you're right, Julie said, unveiling her first full smile of the evening. After they paid the check, Julie and Samantha left the restaurant and walked to the parking lot. 
Thanks for being my dame in shining armor tonight, Julie said. She gave Samantha a goodbye hug. That's what friends are for, Samantha replied as she withdrew from, her from their embrace. And remember, don't call him. I love it. Yeah, isn't that fantastic that she did that? It's isn't that amazing? Right. Uh, such yes. a good friend. And such a good friend. A lot of times we we just if something like that happens, we just feel terrible and we make it about what's wrong with us. And her friend was like, there's nothing wrong with you. This guy's a jerk and I'm going to tell him. <laughs> and yes. what I love is the after story as well, because I know Julie took time off from dating. She took like mm -hmm. a year off and then she decided to do something really cool. Can you tell us about that? She did something really clever. Well, she looked around and she noticed that most of the people she knew were coupled and many of them had kids, but that didn't matter because they know people, a couple of people know people who are single. And so she put out an offer and she called it uh, babysitting for boyfriends. And she, put, she created uh, posters. She sent out emails. Like she went all out on this and all in on it. And she um, said to people in all that promotion that if they set her up for a date, she'd babysit their kids so that they could go out on a date night another time. And it's, it's a wonderfully clever thing to do. And not only that, Sandy, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Her fifth date through babysitting for boyfriends became her husband. And they've been happily married for quite for a while now. So how's that for turning um, things around and taking a super creative and clever approach to meeting your your person? Yeah, gives a whole new meaning to babysitters club, right? <laughs> <laughs> So true. <laughs> I love it for a lot of reasons, I, you know, from the reasons that you just stated, but I think also it took courage. You had to be bold to do this. And this, is, this brings up, you know, that a lot of people say, nobody sets me up. And again, it's mindset. And so I remember hearing Rachel Greenwald, who is a dating coach and matchmaker, she was speaking in New York City, and I went to hear her, and she talked about how to effectively ask for a setup. And she said, it's not about the people you know, it's about the people who know people. And it's like any kind of networking. We don't just meet people and do business with them. We do business with the people that they know. And our friends introduce us to friends. And so why not take the same approach in your dating life? So take a take a lesson from Julie and do something creative and ask, you know, that she, so Rachel says, you know, have coffee with the connectors that, you know, and ask them and, you know, sort of plant seeds, like, does your husband work out at Planet Fitness? And I wonder if he knows any guys from there who are single or on the golf course, or maybe somebody at work. And so you start to give them creative ideas to think about it differently, because otherwise they're just going to say, I wish I knew somebody for you. You're so fantastic, but I don't know anyone. I think it's brilliant. And it's so low risk too. I mean, what's What's the person going to say that's awful? The other worst they say is, no, I don't know somebody. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask for things yeah. to happen in our lives. And that is a fantastic strategy. And it's one I used to employ as well. Because <laughs> we don't ask for things in life. They often don't come. 
Yes, <laughs> which actually brings me to your first date story because um, you did something that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't taken a risk. So can you tell us yes. how you met your husband on your last first date? Absolutely. So um, this happened um, in October of uh 2014. And I, I say that because the context involved, which is I'm in San Francisco and the San Francisco giants were in the hunt for the pennant and ultimately went to on to the world series. Um, and I had been invited to go to a business uh, networking event. And it was at the same time as one of the playoff games. And I'm a really big sports fan and a really big baseball fan, Giants fan. So I didn't want to miss the game and a friend was having a party. But at the same time, I also wanted to go to this event because somebody was speaking at it that I um, needed to speak to talk to one of the keynote speakers. So I thought, okay, I'll do that both. And I had connected with some friends. Are you going to go? They said, we don't know, maybe. So I decide I'm just going to go. So I get to the hotel and I walk up to where all the tables are with the badges and the name tags. And my friend's name tags are not there. And I peek in and they're not there. And so I'm like, okay, I'm on my own for this one. So I step into this very long and narrow room. And um, because the baseball game is going on, it's not very crowded. A lot of people no-showed. And the people were there. They were all in couples, groups of twos and threes. Now, having dated for all those years, I can walk up to people and start conversations. And that is a benefit of being a seasoned dater, but in twos and threes, it's a little harder than talking to somebody standing alone. So there was only one person standing alone in the whole room. And he was way down at the other end of the room. And so I just said, I'm gonna go talk to him. And so I start walking across this, this room. And as I'm getting closer to him, he was standing at a high top, he turns and he walks away and he walks to the food table. He goes to the buffet table. So I think, okay, I'm just gonna follow him to the food table. So I get in the line behind him at the buffet line. And, uh, and I'm like, and I just need to start a conversation because I'm really just looking for somebody to stand next to and talk to until the speaking events happen. Then I can talk to uh, the one, have the one-on-one -on -one with the speaker and then I can bolt and go to my baseball game watching party. And so I ask him a question about the food and it triggers a conversation. He invites me to go stand with him. And so I'm like, okay, great success. We're good here. And we start chatting about our careers and, um, you know, he's a handsome man and he's, but I'm not even in that space. I hadn't even thought I'd already been on a date for lunch that day. I was not thinking at all about meeting anybody romantically at that time, but we're talking and out of the blue, while I am chewing on a piece of beef, he asked me what my relationship status was. And I truly almost choked. I did not see that coming. I feel so out of the blue for me. I'm like, <laughs> and I respond by saying I'm seeing, and I cough my, like kind of cough my way through it. Then I'm single, but dating. And all he heard was I'm single. And I learned that afterwards. And, um, and, and so he, he, we had this very nice conversation and then he had to leave. He had to leave and, um, and he headed on out and I did not know what happened. We exchanged cards and um, I didn't know if I would hear from him at all, um, but I did, but I heard from him through LinkedIn. 
Shall I share the second part of the story? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> we're all waiting. <laughs> okay. So now we're moving to the, the first date portion of this story. So um, I heard from him and his name is Michael. I heard from Michael via LinkedIn uh, the, next day, the next day. And I was perplexed. His note to me on LinkedIn said, let's get together for coffee. And I thought maybe this was a business networking event because he had my email. He had my number. He could have texted me, but he did LinkedIn. So I agreed to meet him, but he wanted to meet on the other side of the city. So um, it, took a, it was quite a drive. And I head out um, on a Friday evening. I knew there were two big events going on in San Francisco that that evening. So I figured out how to drive. What I did not to get there across the city, what I did not expect was that I was going to drive into the biggest logger jam of traffic I have ever experienced on the streets of San Francisco. What I did not know, Sandy, was that President Obama was in San Francisco. And not only that, but he was downtown. And they had shut all these roads off. And I was driving or attempting to drive through downtown San Francisco to get to this date with Michael. And I was texting him. I was not moving. I was texting and I was thinking, ah, oh, I need to turn around. I need to go back the other side of the city because it's my birthday weekend. I was having, somebody was having a birthday event with me. And, and I thought, oh, I should turn around. And then I decided, no, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. So I inch my car away like into the different lanes. And I, as things, as the, the traffic opens up a bit, I am just maneuvering. I'm cutting people off a little bit. And then I get out of that jam and I go the wrong direction. I zigzag through the city. I'm like Steve McQueen in the movie Bullet. I'm like, I'm getting there. I park my car. I have my little heels on. I am running. Cause if you know San Francisco, it's hard to find parking. So I find a spot. I leave my car. I'm running to this date because I'm now 45 minutes late and I'm not a late person usually. And I get there and I like burst into this cafe and it's, he's nowhere. And then I see, I look out on this patio and he's sitting there and there's a retaining wall that cuts out all the traffic noise that is just on the other side. And there he is. And it's all idyllic and it changes the whole feel of everything. And we come together and we have a terrific conversation and such great connection. And, um, when the date is over, I and we part ways, and he says uh, he'd like to go out again. Um, and I talked to my mother afterwards, and she says, "Well, was it a date or was it a business meeting? Was it business networking?" And I said, "It was a date. It was a first date." And she says, "How do you know?" And I said, "Because he didn't ask anything about business." <laughs> <laughs> so. That's, that is the, the journey that Michael and I um, started out with, or the starting <laughs> of our journey, rather, and, and it went from there. And um, I will say that uh, we got engaged 10 months after we met and had our mm -hmm. first date. Mm -hmm. So it really, for anybody who's listening, who's wondering where their person is and whether it's worth staying out there and staying at it. I am living proof that you can meet your person at 47 or later. And if, and you can get married at 49 or later, it's just, it's just time. And it's just when it's your time. And if it's never your time, that's okay too, because women can live a very happy, really meaningful, joy-filled life. And as an independent person, 
absolutely, I believe that to my core. And I was ready for that to be my story. Wow. So I love your story so much because you took a lot of risks. You know, we talk about risk a lot today and you went to a networking event. It's, it's also about choices. You know, you, you chose to go to the networking event because you had signed up for it, even though there was a game and you really wanted to be at the party and you're like, how do you make choices? And a lot of people would have chosen the party and there's one single guy and you decide I'm going to meet him, not for romantic reasons, but because he was the only person standing alone. And, (laughs) you know, and who knows where you're going to meet people. And I think people just don't, they're, they're on their phones, they're not looking up, they're not making connections and you can meet people anywhere, anytime, it's just about getting out of your comfort zone and and making those connections. And then also you could have turned around and not, not driven through that traffic. I mean, you could have come in so pissed off and tense and you didn't do that either, right? So there were a lot of choice points in this whole dating experience that brought you to the second date, to the third date, to the engagement, to the wedding. Yes. I appreciate and really love that analysis. Yes, because isn't life a series of choices? It's really a series of choices. And, um, and we don't always make the right one, but we shouldn't step away from trying, from making one. You know, just the book, the underlying theme of the book is to believe and keep showing up. And I really strongly believe that we just got to keep showing up. And that's why I showed up for that networking event. And that's why I showed up for my first date with Michael, even though it had been a lot easier, as you said, to go to this birthday event. Um, but, but I have so, no regrets, of course. It was the right choice or the right choices for me. Yeah. And he made choices too, right? He did. He saw, he saw the potential in you. He was bold enough to ask you what your relationship yeah. status was and not just assume you're a single woman and he happened to be single. Like, you know, yeah. who knows what's going to happen. So I love that. Believe and keep showing yeah. up. Those are, it's a great motto for people <laughs> who are out there who are looking for their last first date. Like just, just keep showing up. Don't, yeah. don't shut down because of somebody standing you up or, you know, you had another bad date. Dating is a lot of, it's not going to work until it is, you know, it's, it's a lot of no's to get to your yeses. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I feel very blessed for this being my story and for him coming into my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, so Jody, um, I understand you have a special offer. Can you share that with us and tell people how they can find you and your podcast and your book and all the good stuff? Absolutely. So my special offer is on the website, uh, my website. First, let me tell you what it is. You know, Sandy, we all know that dating is a lot different now in our midlife than it was when we were younger. And part of the, one of the things that's changed is the language right? There's a lot of different words used today. It's an ever-changing language. And like anything you want to do, you want to be able to speak the language. So what we compiled at firstdatestories.com is a modern day dating dictionary where people can just go on and and look up the words that they're hearing or look for words that they want to understand in case they want to use some words when they're out there in the dating world. So because we've all heard like ghosting and catfishing, 
for example. Like there's words that are more common, but there's a lot of new language coming up all the time. With the pandemic, there was lope dating, which is you know dating locally because you don't want to drive somewhere to meet somebody. I know that one. <laughs> yes. And and zumper, do you know? You I know, know that's zumper. something. Yeah. Yes, yes, something exactly. on Zoom, right? Something on Zoom, exactly, and all of that. So there's many. Um, and so what we did, we derived from the larger dictionary, a mini dictionary. So you can have that on your phone and check it out whenever you are out dating and you hear something, or if you want to use one of those terms, like I said. So the offer is free and it is at firstdatestories.com. When you go to the website, you'll also see the episodes of four of our podcast. And we are in the fourth season now. And the podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the, this podcast as well. We also have a blog, as you've mentioned, on the website. And the book, to learn more about my book, First Date Stories, Women's Romantic and Ridiculous Midlife Adventures, just also go to firstdatestories.com forward slash book. And then we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And Facebook stories, uh, first date stories. I mean, yes. And Facebook at first dates, actually. And that's one ST dates and Instagram. It's first one ST dash, uh, underscore date stories. And Pinterest is just first date stories. So all of those places I can be found and all of the richness of first date stories can be found because I created this to help women I love to help women help women because I think women helping women is a superpower and doing that will hopefully lead to the elevation and the listening of stories that your listeners will appreciate and enjoy as they go forward with their dating journeys, as well as enjoying the stories in the book. I love it. And that sounds like such a great resource and there's so much on your on your website that people can find between the podcast and the book and the and the free resource um there's a lot to do over there so head on yes. over get this book it is it's fantastic you don't even need to be oh. single to read it it's <laughs> it's so much fun to <laughs> Thank read you. I mean, it's riveting uh such great stories and it's always fun to to see what other people go through so thank you so much Jody for being on the show today it's been oh. such a delight it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please continue to share it with friends, rate and review us, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts that really helps us continue to grow and be found. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.